We're in the uh, second of four weeks focusing on life verse. And I want to say a word about the series. This is, we're excited about this series. I'm ecstatic about this series. You know, our teaching team, once we understood uh, from the reveal survey how important God's word was to our congregation, to moving towards more fully devoted, we're committed to either bringing you God's word every Sunday morning or we're committed to driving you to God's word when you leave here. And in this series, we're going to do both. We're going to bring you to God's word in the service, and then we're trying to drive you to God's word at home. And we're way excited about this. And um, it's called Lifers, and the idea of it is this. And I, I want you to get this deeply. We believe there's some piece of scripture that God wants to nail to your soul right now to get you ready for the season of life that's coming. We believe God has a piece of scripture that he wants you to meditate on and memorize and take with you into every day for this coming season. We really believe that. And um, it's how his word comes alive. And so um, uh, it really doesn't matter what season of your life you're in. Uh, you know, Michael and Kristen Rogers just had their first baby this week. And so for that season of life, that's a unique season of life, right? And then um, some college parents are dropping their kids off at the dorm and coming home in their first season of empty nester. And some of you are uh, different seasons with grandparents and different things. And whatever season you're in, we believe God wants to give you some scripture that will help you walk into that for him. And, uh, you know, almost all of our spiritual growth programs contain a part that says God's word is an important piece of growing closer to Jesus and his word is key. So um, we've got a lot of ways to help you with this. We've got pamphlets out at the Welcome Center and you can pick up a pamphlet and the pamphlet will um, give you instructions on how to begin praying and choosing a life verse. If you're uh, online, we would ask you just to go to our website and go to key verse right on the homepage. And uh, go and get those helps there. You can also begin to read the life verse scriptures that some of our congregation have put on that page as you, as you follow that link. So it's about eight people this morning, all the different ways of describing, and we're hoping for a thousand. And so if you've chosen a life verse so far, we'd ask you to go on our website and put it on there. If you um, haven't chosen a life verse, we would ask you to keep seeking God. We're asking for 100% participation in this. You know, one of the places we always ask for 100% participation is when we're taking an offering. Let's get 100. But this time we want 100% participation in um, uh, naming and uh, coming up with a lifers for uh, this thing. Now, uh, before I get to my lifers, I'm going to give you a history of four lifers that God has used in my life and why I think he used them. I, I want to say uh, kind of two ahas that happened in my life around scripture. And the first one happened when I was a young dad on vacation, sitting in a campground at a picnic table. And my kids were playing and my wife was fixing dinner. And um, I went with my journal and my Bible and I was at the picnic table and we were vacationing out in California at a campground. And I opened it up and for the first time in my life, I realized that I wanted to read God's word. And I said, whoa, this is weird. I want to read this. And it was like a shock to my system. I can still remember exactly what it was. And you know what the problem was? My history, God's word was always ought and should. It was always, Dave, you, you should open this every day. You should love this book. You should let it lead you. You ought to do this. And all of a sudden on that day, and I don't know if it's because I was on vacation or what, I actually wanted to read it. Total different deal. Total different deal whether you open it because you 
ought to and somebody told you you should and you want to be close to God or whether you want to. So that's the first aha that I had. And uh, it's changed my life. And some of you may not be there yet. Some of you may have never had that experience. There's so much ought that you haven't really got to the, I want to do this. I want to do this. The, the second uh, thing was when, uh, and this was only a few years ago, when I actually realized this book is alive. I remember, actually, I was teaching, for some reason, I was down in the aisle here, and uh, I had just kind of realized, you know how you know something, and then you know it, and then you really know it, right? There's a lot of things like that, right? I can teach a lot of things that I don't know, really. I just know them, you know, enough to teach them. But I don't know them enough to live them. I don't know them enough if people are, like, all around me saying it's not true. But then there are some things that you come and you say, I absolutely know this. And that's what happened to me. I realized the book was alive. And what I mean by that is God wanted to speak to me through the book, uniquely to me. And it's almost like when I was teaching that one day, it's like, be careful, it's alive. It's powerful. It's powerful. So the, one, the two ahas, one, uh, one aha is... Uh, uh, that was a good aha. Uh-huh. Uh, my mind went blank. I want to. And the, thank you. Somebody is listening. And the second aha uh-huh is uh, it's alive. Okay, now I want to tell you uh, about four verses that God really used in my life. Uh, the first one uh, actually came to me when I was a teacher and a coach. And this was, this was an unusual story. I graduated in mid-May from UNI, and I had a business degree and an education degree because I didn't know whether I wanted to go into business or teaching. And because I graduated in mid-August and schools were already starting, I thought I would be headed to business. And uh, then a superintendent called me on a Thursday morning, I don't know, maybe Tuesday morning, and he said, uh, he said, uh, Dave, I'd like to interview you this afternoon. And I'm the superintendent of schools in a little town called Edgewood, Iowa. And our school starts tomorrow morning. And uh, so I went to Kmart where my wife was working and I went and picked up my wife and we drove to Edgewood, Iowa, got out the map, found Edgewood, Iowa, drove in there. I mean, the smallest town I had ever lived in was Waterloo. This town has a little under 800 people. We went and found the school and met with the superintendent. Within an hour, he offered me a job to start tomorrow morning teaching business education and jumping into a football program that was already running and being a wrestling coach. So Lynn and I went for a walk around that town and we just prayed like mad. Is this what God wants? We don't know if we can live in a town like that. We don't know what it's like to live there. We don't know. And within an hour, we made the decision. I went back and signed a contract. And uh, the next day I came, totally unprepared for anything, and began my high school teaching career. Um, I taught for a while and loved it. And I loved teaching. I, lo- I-, I was the student senate uh, representative, sponsor on the staff. I sponsored, I was involved in all the homecoming, proms, everything. I just was a part of the student body. And then God began to whisper something to me. Uh, An organization came to our school called Youth for Christ. And I began to see kids who didn't know Jesus kind of come to Christ. And all kinds of kids. uh, Kids who never went to church and all that. And it just prompted my soul. So I, I left teaching, not coaching yet, but I left teaching and I went into this ministry called Youth for Christ and started that. And, but I realized something at that point in my journey. I didn't have enough love for teenagers. I didn't love teenagers enough. They would, we'd have 60, 80, 90 at our house, and they would break my kids' toys, because I had little kids then. And when I'd be picking up the toys afterwards, I'd be get, like, getting really mad. 
And then um, I would uh, take them on a trip and they would do something really dumb, like get in trouble, get arrested, something like that. And I realized I didn't love kids enough. And then God brought this verse um, to my life. And it's uh, 2 Corinthians 5.14. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us. I'm not one who on a moment's notice can recall a whole verse. So what I figured out to do, and I've done this with all my key verses, I just have a phrase. Now, if I were to choose a phrase today to use back then, I would have chose for Christ's love compels us. But that's not the phrase I chose. I chose the phrase more love. I need more love. And just I would say that all day long as I was meeting with kids, as I was on a trip and they were acting out, I would just go more love, God. I need more love. And what I was saying was I need his love deeper in me and I need to be able to love kids more. More love, God. I need more love. More love, God. I need more love. I don't have... You know, we were uh, down at Disney one time with a bunch of kids and three or four of them got thrown in the slammer for shoplifting. And I'm on my way to that jail. I'm going, more love, God. I need more love. I mean, uh, my wrestlers one time uh, really tore up a locker room and uh, tore it up bad. I mean, brand new locker room at Northland High School and just beat it up almost destroyed it after a meet where we got beat in a close meet. I didn't go into the locker room as the coach, and so the next day I got a call and said, my team destroyed the locker room, and I called the guys in, and uh, I looked them in the eye, and I said, did you do that? And they said, no. So I went to the superintendent's office, and I said, they didn't do it. They looked me in the eye. Well, the truth was they did do it. And as soon as I figured that out and was confronted with that, I said, more love, God. I need more love. You ever there? You ever say you're at the end of your love and you need to receive God's love more so that you can love others, whoever it is? So that's the first verse God nailed to my soul. And I prayed like mad. And now it's something supernatural has happened with me. As I prayed that for months and months and years, I can't walk into a group of teenagers and not feel an incredible love for them. I just do. I walk in basic and I sit in the back and I just feel this incredible love for these kids who are at that point where they're making key decisions. I go to chaos at Nazareth. I don't know if you've ever been there, but like it's like nothing else you experience. Chaos is exactly the right name for it. Um, now, it stands for Christ has all our solutions, but chaos describes how they're working. And I just stand in the back of the gym and watch, and I just feel this incredible love for these middle schoolers who are struggling. And uh, So that's the first verse, more love. I need more love. Well, that was in my 20s. And then I got to my 30s, and I, I was actually getting more love for kids and, and all of that. And then um, this verse struck me, just struck me. Uh, it's Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do. When that struck me, that was a shock to me. That was a surprise to me. Up until this point in my life, I had these God things. And I had these other things. And they were in two different boxes. If I mowed the lawn, that didn't have anything to do with God. If I fixed the sink, that didn't have anything to do with God. It's when I was ministering to kids or you know, trying to uh, love my children, that had to do with God. 
But fixing my car had nothing to do with God. I would just like go mad, go berserk trying to fix that thing, right? And then this verse just out of the blue struck me. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Christ, giving, to, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And a phrase actually in my 30s and 40s, and most of you have heard me teach on it over and over again. This one's for you, Jesus. This one's for you. Because there's all these things we don't want to do. There's all these things we don't want to do, but we know it's the right thing to do. And so on the way to do it, I began to whisper, this one's for you. We used to take our kids to a a county home for old uh, folks, and many of them were like not able to... uh, really realize who we were. It's a county home. You know, uh, people who don't have other resources go to these county homes when we were in Edgewood. So we'd pack our four kids up in the car and we'd go to this county home and they would just love seeing our little kids there and I would sing, believe it or not. I mean, they didn't care. They couldn't hear. Um, I, I, I would do things and all the way there and all the way back, I would just go, this one's for you, Jesus. This one's for you. One, one of the people sitting here was telling me they were with their grandkids in the hospital, one of their grandkids in the hospital until 1.30 the other night. And I just thought, if that were me on the way home, I'd be going, this one's for you, Jesus. This one's for you. Um, and as I, as I thought about that phrase a lot, what actually hit me was everything in my life is for Jesus. When I love my wife, yeah, I love my wife, but at the deepest core, I love her for Jesus. Do I love my kids and grandkids? Yeah, but at the deepest core, this one's for you, Jesus. And then all those things... Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, a a classic story that uh, was a part of my nailing this down in my soul, which I've told a thousand times in all kinds of venues. Most of you could give this story, especially those of you who grew up in the church. I'm in the uh, thousands of times. Uh, I'm in the kitchen in my house making pizza kits in the middle of the night. And uh, 120 pizza kits, eight, six or eight pizzas a kit. I'm putting pepperoni and sausage on these pizzas. And about four hours in, and I'm not even halfway through, I start talking to myself. I go, what are you doing? You're an idiot. What kind of an adult stays up all night making pizza kits? And then I tried to get an answer for why an adult would be doing this, and I couldn't find one. Uh, I go, you love the kids, not this much. You want to serve your customers well. I don't care about these customers. Um... And you ever get so mad doing a project, I do quite often, where you want to throw or kick something? So like I had this sauce and I was putting a sauce on a pizza and then you actually, when you get the cheese and sauce and pepperonis on, you put the plastic bag over the top of it and I had one that the plastic bag caught and the whole pizza went on the floor. And I was already mad before that happened. I just took my hand and go, ah! And this verse came to me through a song that Keith Green was singing. And nothing changed on the outside, but everything changed on the inside. Because I realized I wasn't doing it for the customers or the kids. Every single pizza I was making in the middle of the night, I was making for him. For him. I took the next pizza crust out. I said, Jesus, would you like a little extra cheese? A little extra sauce? Nothing on the outside changed. Everything on the inside changed. As I realized my whole life, my whole life, Even making pizzas in the middle of the night is for him. So I taught football players who play in the dome, high school football players. I taught them to run out on the dome floor and look up and picture Jesus in a chair and say, Jesus, this game 
It, it's not for Cedar Falls High School. It's not for my parents who are up there cheering. This game is for you. I've taught businessmen. You know, you go in and you face something you don't want to do and you say, this one's for you. Uh, one of my friends had a baby that was only going to live hours. Uh, uh, dysfunctional baby, and they knew it. And so the baby was born and they were rocking the baby. And it actually lived a couple days. And I was with them. And I said, what's going to motivate you? And they said, well, love for the kid. And I said, it's not enough. You're rocking this little one for Jesus. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In my 40s, another verse uh, came to be. Uh, and what I've really wondered, uh, thought about, and I'm even wondering if some of you might have this experience, you might be able to look back in your 20s and 30s and 40s and say, God used these verses in me. So in my 40s, this verse, I didn't even actually realize it was becoming a key life verse. Tim Butker actually told me, Dave, this is becoming a key life verse. Uh, He said, every time you go to a conference, every time you go to the mountains to be with God, every time you come back, you share the same verse. Did you realize that? And I didn't realize that. This was in my 40s. And every time I came back, I'd say, man, I got a new aha. This is really powerful. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> Apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, I need a phrase. I can't remember the whole verse while I'm driving and while I'm getting ready for something. So I simply need some key words. And the key words that I nailed down there, this one's for you, Jesus. Uh, more love, I need more love. And now I had, apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> Think about this a minute. And I've taught on this a lot of times too. Uh, anything, what does that mean? That means anything spiritually significant you can't do apart from being connected to Christ. So I want to raise my children and my grandchildren to follow Christ their whole life. I can't do it without a connection with Christ. I want to, uh, I want to lead this church in an upright way, right? Uh, just in an upright way that pleases God. And I can't do it apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Some of you are like in that phase of raising a family. And it's like, can't do it apart from Christ. And uh, sometimes people will come to Orchard and their family is going not exactly the right way, but the parents find Christ and they need to bring some correction and enthusiasm and uh, things to their half-grown kids. And you can't do it apart from Christ, right? And so um, apart from me, you can do nothing. I can do nothing of spiritual significance. I cannot build a marriage that pleases God. I cannot bring joy to my soul. I cannot raise kids. I can't give leadership to the church. I can't do anything uh, apart from Christ. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, If I had time, I was going to put in this other verse that uh, really helped me, and I do have a couple minutes, so I'm going to put one that we don't have a slide for. Uh, uh, As I thought about the verses that have impacted me, uh, one verse, uh, John 3.29, I don't even have a slide. I wasn't sure if I was going to share this. Um, It says this, The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. 
as a church, we went through some very, very hard times from 2000 to 2003. And uh, there was a lot, lot of angst in the church and a lot of uh, strife and good people, uh, good people at odds with each other. And um, uh, a lot of consultants came in from the outside to help us. And uh, they would sit with me, consultants would sit with me and say, Dave, why are you staying? Why don't you uh, do what usually happens in this kind of case? And why don't you leave the ministry of the church and be called somewhere else? And it was so clear, this verse is why I stayed. And what I pictured was the bride of Christ, which is the church, in a white gown walking down the aisle. And I got to like walk with the bride of Christ. And what I kept telling these consultants was, I am not going to leave the bride when she's in distress. I might leave when the whole thing's over, but I'm not leaving the bride of Christ when she's in distress. And so I would come in and... uh, So that's the phrase I got from the verse. I'm not leaving the bride when she's in distress. And so I would come in and there were lots of hard emails. Lots of uh, notes on my desk. Uh, uh, There was a time I got back from a caravan, and before I even got to the building, two people uh, met me in the parking lot and uh, uh, were not there to encourage me. Uh, And so what helped me in those days was this verse and the idea that this thing is the bride of Christ. And I'm not leaving the bride of Christ when she's in distress. I mean, who's going to do that? Who's going to walk the bride halfway down the aisle and then go, oh, there's some trouble. Let's like bail. Who's going to do that? And so uh, that's a verse that uh, God used for three years. And uh, people would say, Dave, this almost never happens that somebody stays through this big of controversy. And I really didn't know if I'd stay afterwards. I didn't know about that. But I knew I would not leave the bride of Christ in distress. And that's a piece of scripture God had for a season. The season was about three years. And it just fed my soul. Now I want to give you my current uh, life verse. I I found this one um, like before Easter last year. And as soon as I read it, I said, this is for you, Dave. And here it is. Um, It's uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Not in vain. So the phrase, it's a little longer than I like. Um, Give yourself fully and not in vain. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, not in vain. And so that's my life verse these days. And uh, if you were on our staff management team, you're probably sick of it by now because I bring it every single time we meet. Um, Our board, whenever I'm sharing with them, I bring it. Uh, uh, I tend to get, I tend to really lean on a verse that God gives me. And so uh, a couple things about the verse. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, I believe if it were written today, that's what it would say if it were written in this culture. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Don't be knocked down. Don't be knocked over. Don't let the wind blow you away. Stand firm. And as I thought about this service, and some of you who've been following Christ for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, stand firm in what you know. 
Stand firm in what you've committed. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. You know, I've, I've begun, I've thought about this quite a bit. What do my grown children need from me today? Well, they need a lot of things, right? But what's the primary thing they need from me today? Right here. They need a dad who stands firm. They need a dad who's not only followed Christ for 40 years, but follows uh, Christ to the last day of their life. And as they reflect on that, that's what they need. And then the other thing that really helps me from this is the last phrase. It's not in vain. You ever think that something you're doing is a waste of time, but you feel like it's the right thing to do? At Easter, I shared, and uh, just had a line of people afterwards. At Easter, I shared one example of you go to the, to the nursing home and you visit your mom or your dad, and they don't even know you're there. But you still go and visit them. And you still go and visit them. And you still go and visit them. And somebody asks you, do they know you're there? I don't know. But you keep doing it. Because you believe as you serve Christ by going there, it's not in vain. Some of you uh, have uh, marketplace jobs that are just plain hard. Just plain hard. We have a lot of investment guys. I see Chuck here, but we have a lot of investment guys who've been through uh, like a couple, two or three hard, hard years. And I was meeting with some of them at breakfast uh, for a while. And every day they'd have to leave the Bible study, go out to their car, and like head to work. And do the best they could in those hard days. And what I would just hope for them is they would say, not in vain. Not in vain. God will use this too. God will use this too. We have some families in the church whose kids are uh, struggling in a lot of ways, right? A lot of ways. Financially, um, I mean, just a lot of ways. And so they'll come visit me. And they'll say, what should we do? And this verse is so good. Stand firm. Love Christ. And realize as you love them where they are, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. Make sense? Um, So, we believe, I believe, God has a piece of scripture that he wants to nail down to your soul and use it to change your life. Just like these four or five have changed my life. And I would just encourage you. New young couple, just married, right here. I would just encourage you and say, you know, figure out a verse. That's just the right verse for being a brand new married couple. And take it. You know? Wherever you are. Just retired. What's going to be your verse for those first five years of that retirement that God wants to give you? Okay. I'm going to pray. Father, uh, so much. We uh, believe. We believe. We know. At some level that uh, you want to work through your book to teach us. You want to work through your book to communicate into our lives in supernatural ways by your spirit. And so, Father, I pray, I pray that uh, folks here in this room, I mean, these are the, some of the mature ones in our church. Father, I pray that this room would go and choose a verse and uh, 
Not just choose it, but seek you and see what it is you want to say to them. And then I pray that the people in this room would lead by um, putting it on our website and letting other people know that they have chosen a verse that they're going to um, rest in and learn from and be led by you in uh, for the coming days. Father, that's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.